This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. And today we're talking about cooking with wine. Uh, This was suggested by listener Brandon, who is not uh, a spouse or ex-spouse of the show, just a a listener. Just, just, I mean, no one's just a listener. No, no. When you're with us, you're with family. (laughs) That's right. This episode is sponsored by the Olive Garden, and all of you get unlimited (laughs) breadsticks. Oh, God, that would be so great. (laughs) That would be so great. Like, yeah, breadsticks just started popping out of your phone. Oh, yes. Okay, well, anyway, thank you, listener Brandon. (laughs) When you're with us, you're with breadsticks. Okay. (laughs) that's a good slogan right isn't it good like with breadsticks it could mean so many things like you're you're pregnant with them (laughs) or like or like we're breadsticks or yeah or like you're just surrounded by breadsticks because we get them for free like the land of dairy queen only with breadsticks Oh, is, that, is there a Land of Dairy Queen? When I was a kid, like the, the Dairy Queen commercials, they haven't done them in a long time, but like uh, the, the theme was the Land of Dairy Queen. And it would show, the, the camera would pan over like a uh, nature scene, but where everything was made out of like soft serve ice cream or like flowing hot fudge and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty good. It sounds like Candyland. It was a lot like Candyland, yes. It was, it was as if they were filming the Candyland board. <laughs> Cool. Okay. Uh, You know, I'm going to start us off on memory lane. (laughs) Okay. And again, just in case you're wondering what this episode is, it's cooking with wine. Cooking with wine. Even though we've been talking about everything else. Um, So I think that, you know, I'm sure my parents cooked with wine all the time when I was growing up. But I think the first thing I remember cooking with wine was this super weird recipe that I think I found in the New York Times. Like in my first apartment alone, I remember my dad came to visit me and I thought, ooh, I'm going to make this recipe. Okay. And it was like salmon poached in like red wine. I've heard of this. Like Why a, have like I a heard really of this? light red wine, like a Pinot Noir type okay. thing. And I made it. And it wasn't like a total disaster, but I just think back on it and I'm like, this doesn't sound very good. Like, why would I do that? Salmon is really delicate in flavor. Yeah. And like the idea of poaching in wine, like if it's if we're not talking about like fruit doesn't kind of doesn't seem like the best way to use wine in cooking. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I do tend to think of it being used in other places where the heat is higher and you're going to let the alcohol yeah. evaporate off quickly. 
and and get some some reduction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll talk but, about this. Anyway, I do remember making that salmon, and then I remember when I was uh, living in Paris around the same age, like yeah. around 22, 23. Um, How are you living in two places at the same time? I can't remember whether I made the salmon when I was in the U.S. or in Paris. Oh, okay. I can't remember. Interesting. My dad did come to visit me that spring that I, I mean, was there. Who wouldn't? Anyway, but when I was living over there alone, I remember my landlord when he like, you know, was showing me around the apartment when I first got there. He told me about this neighborhood restaurant uh, called Le Tabarin that he thought I would like a lot because I think he thought that it would just be like a great neighborhood place to okay. to go. And I went and I was by myself and they seated me. I'm sure I've told this story before. They I want to hear it again. They said to me, the place was run by two men. I think they were maybe a couple. They asked me if I was willing to sit with a friend of theirs. Oh, interesting. And now, I don't know if I've heard this story now before. Now I feel like I would be like, no, <laughs> I'm not willing. But I think at the time there was just something about their demeanor. And I was like, okay. And they seated me at this table kind of near the bar with this beautiful man whose name was Manu. And he was a bartender at um, like on a nearby street that had a lot of bars. Okay. And he would often come in and like eat dinner and chat with his friends before he started his shift at the bar. Okay. And so he was sitting there eating alone and I sat with him. And uh, anyway, he became like my my first real friend over there when I was living by myself. I remember he was really into rollerblading. Oh, that's so great. And I thought it was so goofy. But anyway, we went to movies together sometimes. I feel like if you rollerblade around Paris, you would bump into so many people and knock them down. But I guess you just got to know where to go. He was a he was a very uh lithe and sinewy kind of man. That makes sense. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I remember the thing I loved to eat there was en murette, which is eggs poached in red wine. There's usually, you know, like the sauce is usually mounted with butter. Oh my God, it's so good. Anyway, but I remember sitting there with Manu Eating eggs poached in red wine. Are the like sometimes when I've had like the eggs are like sitting on like pe- little pieces of toast. Yes. Is that yes. is that typical? That is a that is a thing that often happens. I don't remember if that was how they were served at Le Tabac. Such a good dish. Oh it, God, it's fantastic. All right, my cooking with wine memory. I uh, I didn't know where where my thoughts were going to go when I when I started thinking about uh, cooking with wine memory wine memory lane. So I want to talk about the late Stephen Shaw. Do you remember? Did you ever meet Stephen was Shaw? Stephen Shaw, one of the founders of Eagle. He was one of the founders of Eagle, where okay. where we where we crossed paths in the early two thousands. Yes. It was a it was an online food discussion site like and, like Chowhound. I yeah, think a lot of people know of Chowhound. Very similar. I think I think like it was started by like people people who were disillusioned with Chowhound. And I preferred Eagle, oh, I yeah. have to say. I mean, it was foundational for me. Right. And like I used to read Stephen Shaw's food blog, which was called fatguy.com before he started Eagle. And he was he was a truly great food writer yes. um, and like very influential. And he died in 2014, very okay. young. So I think one of the first times I ever used wine in cooking was after I read this article that he posted on his website, which was like in some ways like – 
the kind of food article they tell you not to write because it was like super first person and like digressions all over the place. And it was like 3,000 words long. And it was called Matt and Steve's Ultimate Brazing Weekend. And so he, uh, the, the premise of the article was his friend Matt, Chef Matt, came over, not me, uh, and they braised a bunch of stuff. Like uh, I, the ones things I remember were lamb shanks and short ribs. And uh, I, at the time I read it, I did not understand what braising was. Uh, I had never bought wine for cooking and I had definitely never bought or cooked lamb shanks or short ribs. And I'm like, I'm going to try this. And I think I did both lamb shanks and short ribs and uh, like a couple of different kinds of wine. And for some reason, I remember vividly, he suggested like, if you don't have a braising pan, just get some foil, like, like, uh, you know, disposable foil baking pans and braise in that and that's what I did and it worked great wow. yeah um And, like, this article made me feel like, you know, made the food sound delicious and made me feel like I could do this new technique and, you know, with new cuts of meat and, you know, use wine in cooking, which I hadn't really done before. And, like, everything turned out great. Like, Stephen and I became friends. um, And, uh, like, he he asked me to be the the Pacific Northwest uh, Mm -hmm. moderator for Mm Egullet, which I did for a while. And, uh, like, this was was when I was just, like, starting to do food writing and – you know that part of partly because of that experience, like I started getting more interested in wine, uh, which I'm still kind of interested in, like just in terms of like you know understanding the different types and like how it's made and stuff. But I don't really drink wine very much at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So did you uh, were you did you make like short ribs in red wine? Yeah, is that one of the things? Okay, yeah, I don't remember like what how how the lamb shank recipe was different, but I, I'm pretty sure it was two different types of wine. It might, it might have been braised in white wine. I don't know. Oh man, that sounds great. Well, so, okay, Matthew, what what broadly can you teach us today about cooking with wine? All right. So I, I tried to research like the history of cooking with wine, which is kind of just not like a well-defined question. Yes. Uh, so first of all, we're going to be talking about grape wine on this episode. I like saying grape wine because it's like a phrase you never hear, but mm-hmm. it is accurate. Right? As opposed to like Shaoxing rice wine. Yeah, or sake or okay. uh, like other wines, wines made from other fruits and grains. I would like to do it episode on especially like I I do enjoy drinking sake sometimes but like mostly cooking with it and I cook with Shaoxing rice wine a lot we should we should do this as an episode yeah absolutely um so yeah so but we're sticking to grape wine today and cooking with wine is probably as old as wine itself Mm -hmm. um you know uh the earliest evidence of wine drinking comes from uh Georgia the uh the country of Georgia around 6000 BCE okay um and so there isn't there isn't a lot that I could find of like you know these these are some dishes from like five thousand years ago that uh, that were made with wine. It's just like you know it's uh, it's used as like a poaching, braising, uh, deglazing medium. Mm-hmm. Um, the most iconic. I, I wanted to ask you if if you agree with this. Like the most iconic dish made with wine I could think of was coco vin. I think that think sounds right? right. That sounds correct. Yeah, and it's that is a dish that is probably centuries old, but we're just not sure. And it was it wasn't documented until the 19th century. And the earliest recipe, which is uh, from 1867, the earliest known written recipe, uses white wine. Hmm. Have you made coco vin? I've made it a few times. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, not recently, like it feels, I mean, it feels really old school, right? Yeah. But it's still very good. <laughs> I don't think I've, I know I've never made it. And I think I've maybe had it once. 
like, you know, uh, maybe my host mother or something made it once when I was in France. It's just not the kind of thing that people around here in the States are making all the time. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like chicken, like usually like a whole cut up chicken braised in red wine Mm -hmm. and often with like, uh, does does it get like, like, uh, you know, pearl onions sometimes? That sounds or is that right. just, or is I'm that not just sure. Beef now I'm thinking of beef, yeah. bor- beef bourguignon. Yeah. Uh, my mom makes a really good beef bourguignon, which I think is actually Ina Garten's recipe. Yeah. Beef bourguignon is one of my favorite things. Oh my I rarely God. make it because it's a big production. It is a huge production. Um, my mom, she never made stuff like this when I was a kid. I feel like she made these kinds of like dishes with titles before I was born. <laughs> dishes then, with titles. I like and that. And then didn't make them for the 18 years that I was living at home and now that I am in yeah, my no, 40s I, I stopped making has, those things after I had a kid also she, she has now returned to making elaborate things like this and beef bourguignon is one of them you know I, I do think actually I'm glad that I thought of this because Ina Garten is somebody who is a like if you're looking for a recipe for one of these like dishes yeah. with names and or like cooking with wine i feel like ina garten has that stuff locked in yeah uh i mean maybe that's like sacrilege given that she's an american woman making some of these more classically european dishes but she does it so yeah, well so was julia child right that's true yeah that's true um yeah so beef bourguignon also first documented in the 19th century that's uh a uh you know burgundy style mm-hmm. uh, uh beef braised in red wine usually like like chunks of beef often often like kind of large chunks mm-hmm. um of, uh, of stewing beef and then garnished at the end uh, with uh, like a quick saute of like glazed um, uh, mushrooms, bacon yes. and onion. Yes. Uh, which, uh, what a brilliant idea. God, it's so good. Yeah. We should, we should do this sometime. We like, should. How, how are we going to like set aside the time to do this? I don't know. And we're definitely not going to do it until the weather gets cold again. Yeah. You know, we're going to do, we're going to do it like maybe in November okay. or early December because the, the nights are so long and start so early. Yeah. You just got to curl up really with something really the time warm, to start like braising. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So other iconic European recipes made with wine. Of course, Eau and Murette, yep. which we already talked about. Mussels uh, in white wine, steamed. Yep, like, yep, yep. So good. I made, I made this for dinner like fairly recently. Actually, I made green curry mussels for dinner recently, but but mussels with white wine and shallots, also classic. What about risotto? Yes, yes. I always put white wine in my risotto unless occasionally I'll put red wine in risotto. Like something, something like... Uh, a principle that I've learned from cooking with wine, which, like I said, I do more often than I drink wine, is like it's almost always fine to substitute red for white wine or vice versa. Like the worst thing that's going to happen is something is going to come out a weird color. Or it's going to taste slightly different. Yeah. I mean, well, maybe a yeah. lot different. But uh, what's, you know, what's not to like? Yeah. Fondue, that's made with wine, right? Yep, yep. Of course, uh, red wine braised pears. Yep, that's something I don't think I've ever made, although I have eaten. Uh, Mother of the show, Tony Weisenberg, she used to, this is maybe one of the few cooking with wine things that I remember her doing from my childhood. Yeah. A lot of red wine braised pears for dinner parties. Nice. Yeah. So 80s. God, when, like... Have you ever had a dinner party as an adult like the kind of thing? I, well, did your parents have these kinds of dinner parties yeah. growing up? Yeah, they did. Where like you would do something fiddly like red wine braised pears for dessert. And there'd be a kid's table. There'd be a kid's table and or like the kids would be banished. Banished. Yes. Yeah. Like like pizza, pizza in the basement. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I think like, I actually. Hey, kids, there's pizza in the basement. The kids would all run <laughs> yeah, down and then it'd slam the, the door. door like... um, you know, I think I actually did this kind of that thing. That would have worked on me every time. I think, I think I did this kind of thing more when I was like newly married. I feel like I was like a fucking 1950s housewife. Did like, I ever do this? Like, I, I, we, we have like had people over, like, like one other couple over and made dinner. I mean, I not think recently. That, I think that Brandon and I, when we were, because we didn't have kids for five years. I think you didn't either, right? Yeah, longer more, more than, that. than that. But I think that it was also, you know, during those years that like. We were both really into food and into cooking specifically during that time. Oh, sure. So I do think we would do these like fiddly meals and have people over. But yeah. then that went out the window. That like that stage of my life is so long ago now. I really just don't remember it. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Fair enough. Uh, OK. What are other classic European recipes made with wine? OK. So like pan sauces, like a sauce bordelaise. Yep. Uh, which is which is like deglaze, like cook a steak or something like that, then deglaze with red wine and and like thicken it with bone marrow, which I've definitely never done. But I think I ate once. Mm. Um, I've definitely made like a red wine pan sauce with uh, that's like mounted with butter yes. and like some shallots in yes. there. I love that. Uh, of course, bolognese. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know what? What would that be without some wine? Yeah, and that that one like you could do red or white wine, and both of them are going to be equally delicious and a little bit different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Chapina. Chapino kept Chapino coming up. Has wine? Chapino has wine. Apparently, I've I've almost never had Chapino, despite like having spent time in. Well, I, I've never really spent time in Northern California. That's where it's from, right? I I remember going through a little period, like I don't know. I remember when I was in college and like reading the San Francisco Chronicle food section. There were always recipes for Chapino, yeah. and I think I thought that at some point in my life. I would be someone who made Chipino. And I had this like accordion file file that I would put all my recipe clippings sure. in. And I had a lot of recipes for Chipino. Have you there. ever made it? No. Okay. I think my mom has made Chipino. I, I, I have vague, re- vague recollection of this. It's like, it's like a fish soup. Yeah. It's delicious. Yeah. Got tomato in there. It's yeah. fantastic. Chicken marsala. I haven't made this in ages. At one point, yes. it was like one of my favorite dishes. And yes. it feels so like 80s and 90s now, but it's so good. God, you know, Matthew, this fall, I really think maybe we should do some episodes that are like classic European, yeah. like, uh, you know, dishes with names. Dishes with names. That's dishes what, that's with what we names. should call the episode. Dishes like, with names. Yeah. But I think we could do like one per episode. <laughs> no, like, you're right. Or maybe like two per. I, I yeah. don't know. Okay. Okay. Maybe yeah, maybe like a limited series, the dishes with dishes with names month. Yes, okay, that sounds great. We did remember we did bananas Foster once. That, that was, was really fun. fun. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah, whatever we make, let's set it on fire. Great. Okay, okay. even if it's not supposed to be. Yeah, so chicken marsala is like uh, made like marsala is like a, a like a Sicilian dessert wine, and so it's got some sweetness to it, and like tastes very different from like a you know typical red or white wine, mm-hmm. and it's so and so it's like typically has the mushrooms, right? Like like uh, chicken breast with you mushrooms. Know, I tend to confuse it with that like um, silver palate recipe. Oh, Is it sure. chicken marbella? Yeah, yeah. That has like prunes and olives yes. and stuff. Yeah. Which is which is also good. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if that has wine in it though. I I imagine it might. It probably does. Yeah. Matthew, you you wrote a, a little thought here about. <laughs> Okay, so about cooking with I wine. think I think this is this is gonna fall apart if we look at it too closely. Okay. But like I mentioned, I've been doing quite a bit of Korean cooking lately, and I 
feel like there is an extent to which wine in French and Italian cooking serves a similar function as to kimchi in Korean cooking. Okay. So, first of all, it's like a thing you have on the side that like is very acidic and cuts through whatever rich dish you're eating alongside it, and you cook with it, and when you've got some wine or kimchi that's too old to be good for drinking or eating, oh. then you cook with it. That's and it, fair. And it, and it serves sort of like a similar function when cooking, like, you know, that it adds like some nice like, you know, acidity, acidity and, and brightness. I, I, you know, I, okay, I agree with part of that. I, I feel like the, you know, if you have it around and it's too old kind of thing, wouldn't they just pour it in like the vinegar barrel? Yeah, you're right. Um, I've kind of forgot about vinegar. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I do think you're right that, you know, the, the role of it, I mean, does every, every cuisine must have something that they use to cut richness and to yeah, add brightness, right? I think Whether so. it's just like lemon juice or, yeah. or vinegar. Or vinegar. Yeah. Or even like lime leaves mm. or, right? Yeah. Does that sort of help? Yeah. Anyway, um, so does most of the alcohol evaporate and like how long does that really take? Okay. So I think this is something that's been discussed a lot. Like anyone who's ever done like a, you know, food Q&A column has probably answered this question. And the answer is depending on how long you cook the wine, more more alcohol will evaporate. So like in a long cook stew, like a beef pork and yon, there's probably like less than 5% and probably less than 2% of the alcohol that you started with. Okay. Which which like in in like even like a pretty strong wine is is going to be like 15% to start with. The the other day, uh, June was eating uh, some slices of soprasada made by the company Creminelli. Uh-huh. And she was looking at the ingredients and she goes, oh, mama, I shouldn't be eating this. It has wine. In it. <laughs> right. And I was like, don't you worry. But then again, like that's not cooked. Right. But, but it's also cured. The, the but amount it's of, like, yeah. sure. Yeah. So, so, so a lot of the alcohol is going to evaporate during the curing process. Yeah. And also it's a very small amount of yes. wine. Yes. Um, yeah. No, if like, if you are concerned about like, you know, that you are sober and don't want to consume alcohol at all or don't want to consume alcohol for religious reasons, one thing that that I noticed, which probably people who are in that position are way ahead of me on, is that just like we found that there is a lot of like really good quality non-alcoholic beer, there is now a lot of good quality de-alcoholized wine being made as well. Really? Yeah. So this used to be like not a thing. Like you could find like like wine for cooking in like the like salad dressing aisle or something and it would be salted and really gross okay and now you can get like several brands there's like uh one one of the earlier ones is called uh free fre that's been around for a while but there there are a lot of brands now of like non-alcoholic wine that tastes good and is certainly more than good enough to cook with okay and i imagine that it is you know not exactly like uh alcoholic wine yeah so but- when i was reading about it like uh, several sources that i found including cooks illustrated said like if you you're cooking with non-alcoholic wine, it's probably going to be a little bit sweeter and a little bit less acidic than alcoholic wine. So just add a little lemon juice at the end. Great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Town Place Suites by Marriott. Whether you're traveling for work, need a place to stay while your home is being remodeled, or maybe you're just enjoying a relaxing week away, well, Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the comforts of home. Yeah, so they've got a full kitchen. Uh, they've got you can borrow appliances like if you want a blender or a slow cooker while you're traveling you can borrow it no charge uh-huh so like you could invite your friends or your coworkers over for like a post meeting drink. You can bring your pet. 
Totally allowed. Oh, I love this. Oh, I see. They even have special pet items you can use. And they have the built-in alpha closet system. Nothing makes me happier (laughs) when I am traveling and I have, like, a place to put away my clothes. Mm -hmm. Molly has seen what happens when I don't have a place to put away my clothes. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody. Nobody. Yeah, so, like, a whole closet system where I can really, like, unpack for reals. I am down. Well, this is made for you then, and this is Town Place Suites by Marriott. Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the amenities you need to feel at home during your stay. Find the comforts of home at Town Place Suites. Go there with Marriott Bonvoy. Did you know that Delaware has endless discoveries? The first day invites you to explore miles of beaches and boardwalks, dozens of unique breweries, award-winning restaurants, some of the country's best state parks, beautiful garden estates, and even tax-free shopping. There's plenty of fun for the entire family and more. Find trip ideas and all the info you need to plan your Delaware discoveries at visitdelaware.com. What is it that makes wine good for cooking? I mean, obviously, so it's a liquid. And when you're braising, you need liquid. And a lot of recipes need liquid. And it's got acidity to it. Yeah, which uh, just like most of the stuff we eat is acidic. We, We... I almost feel like we should do a whole episode on acidity in food, all, although, A, maybe we already did. I never remember. And, B, maybe that would be really boring. But, like, you know, it's it's one it's one of the most important factors in, like, whether we consider a, a food, like, craveable. Kind yes. Of. Yes. Absolutely. Um, I remember when Brandon uh, was working as a lunch cook at Boat Street Kitchen learning that was where he really learned how to adjust things with um with acid uh or I learned with, how to adjust things in chiropractic school or with the tiniest bit of sugar of course with salt yeah uh or with fat like these yeah. are these are, are these are things these are the levers we can we can depress in the kitchen yes i mean i i try i, I don't like to be depressed in the kitchen but <laughs> no, sometimes no, no. i can't help it well no but like when, whenever i feel depressed in the kitchen i just reach for one of these levers, levers. and just like start start pressing it and a food pellet comes oh, out oh yes that always makes me feel better too i learned how to do that once when I was in a lab in a cage. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, okay, but so, I mean, I guess the other thing is, when you are cooking with wine, you are always cooking it enough that it that it reduces a little bit, that the alcohol cooks off. So, I mean, it, the alcohol itself can't be contributing that much flavor. No, right? so there is, there is an extent to which alcohol does contribute something because there are some flavor compounds that uh, you know are going to occur in other ingredients that are going to be soluble in alcohol but not soluble mm. in water, and so okay. it's going to draw those out in a way that that it wouldn't if you weren't using alcohol. In practice, I think that's a very small amount of what wine contributes to a dish. It's mostly the acid and the flavor compounds. Okay, and you're usually reducing it so like you're taking something that tastes good to start with and making it more intense and saucy yes yes, and wine with like reduced wine with butter is like one of the most perfect flavor combinations in the kitchen right you know this reminds me again like thinking about kimchi because kimchi and and butter like one another you know yeah i think it's that like you know butter butter is like one of the best tasting and best textured things but you know is very like rich and intense yes. and can be cloying. Yes. But so then when you take that and cut it with something acidic that's contributing flavors of its own, like that, that's like the best way to butter. 
Spilled milk, the best way to butter. The best way to butter. We we should get a new slogan. We've been using the same slogan for like 28 years or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The best way to butter is is our new one. Thanks, everybody. Um, This is the end of our show. Season two begins next week. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So, Matthew, when you're like when you're buying wine for cooking, do you do you buy like the super cheap stuff? Do you do you buy wine in a box? I mean, this is. You know, now you can get pretty decent wine in a box. Uh And I feel like this is the time to buy wine in a box because it keeps so long, right? I totally agree. So when I – I think when the first time I cooked with wine, like I think – Cooks Illustrated like did a tasting of like wines for cooking and they concluded that like the best red wine for cooking was like an inexpensive Cote du Rhone. Okay. Um, and when they say inexpensive, it was like $10 a bottle. Okay. Um, and so that's what I bought. And it was good, of course. But then I found like it just doesn't matter that much. Like, so yeah, now I buy like Boda box wine in a box. It's like $5 a bottle equivalent or less. And yeah, it keeps for months in the fridge. So Mm -hmm. when I need like a cup of wine for a recipe, I dispense a cup of wine. That's great. Do you cook with wine? So I do tend to have wine around in the house. And when I am cooking with it, which admittedly isn't that often, it's so things that I make with wine a lot are, well, risotto. Yeah. So I usually, you know, you need white wine for that. Yeah. And usually like a half a cup yeah, to a it's cup not at most. Very much. So like a box is perfect. For yes. That. Uh, other things. So in the summer, apricots poached in in wine are nice. delicious. White wine. Uh, rhubarb, also fantastic, uh, you know, cooked slowly in wine with vanilla bean and sugar. Yes. So good. Uh, I think that the thing I make most often, at least during certain times of the year, like in the fall and winter, is a recipe from Abra Barons, okay. who wrote the book uh, Roughage. Her more recent book is called Grist. It's about grains. Yeah. Anyway, Roughage is a fantastic book. And it has a recipe in there for slow-cooked leeks with cream and thyme. And basically, it's like the kind of thing where, you know, like when when your CSA box gives you like three giant leeks, uh, this is this is what I do with nice. them. So uh, basically, you know, you that brown them, really good. you brown them, uh, you 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 cook a little bit of thyme in the butter as well, and then you add wine and stock. I think both things, white wine. Cook for a little bit uh, over really low heat and finish it with cream. And it's so fantastic. And again, it tastes, uh, it just tastes so French. Like leeks, white wine, cream, and butter. Could anything about that be anything but very French That sounds so good. It's really, really good. So I make that a lot. But inevitably, you know, I haven't thought to get like a box of white wine and keep it around forever. I have tended to just make sure that we had white wine in the house that week. Yeah, if but you look does... if you look at my fridge, there's a red box and a white box. Really? Yeah. And so how long would you say you keep them in there? I think 6 months. That is really good to know. And I think okay. I think it does get to a point like like I'm not drinking it anyway, but I think it does get to a point where it would be kind of a little oxidized and like mm-hmm. a little weird to drink, but it still cooks fine at that point. 
God, that's really good to know. And how many, so how much is a box? So I get the box as the equivalent of two bottles, so one and a half liters. So um, it's like 10 bucks? It's like 10 bucks and it oh, fits pretty easily in the fridge. Yeah. That is great because, yeah, I usually wind up buying a white wine or something that's about 10 bucks a bottle. Yeah. But then now, you use half a cup and then I I wind up drinking the rest of right. it. Right. If I, if I drank more wine, I might approach it differently and try and, like, like look for a, a – inexpensive bottle that I would be like excited to drink, but also cook with some of, um, but, uh, but I don't. Okay. Um, are there wines that you really avoid cooking with? So I think the only wines you would want to avoid cooking with are like very tannic or oaky wines, mm. like a big Cabernet or mm-hmm. Chardonnay, but you probably wouldn't would buy avoid those. those anyway. I would avoid those anyway because I don't like them. But even if you do like them, you're probably not going to buy them to cook with because they tend to be more expensive. Okay. So these box ones, are you getting like a like a Pinot Grigio or yeah, something? Yeah, something like that. And then what, what are you getting for the red? Um, like a red blend or Pinot Noir or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other the other thing to avoid is like very sweet wines, like some of some of the the most inexpensive boxed wines or like jug wines, like a you know Gallo Hardy Burgundy yeah. or uh, uh, like Franzia, like are pretty sweet. That's still not going to be bad. It just may be like more sweet than you were going for in like a braised dish. Yeah. Yeah. Two buck you- chuck from Trader Joe's, absolutely fine to cook with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I remember my friend Ben used to buy two buck chuck to actually oh, it's, drink. Oh, it's fine to drink, I, too. I, Why not? I, I cannot handle it. Yeah. I, I do not like the taste of That's it. That's fair. What else? You put a couple other things on the list of like things you've, memorable things you've made with wine. Did oh, already... I covered it all. Okay. Oh, actually, one thing yeah. I wanted to mention, and again, this is something that uses the tiniest bit of white wine, is um, an old recipe from Union Square Cafe in New York. Okay. And it is shaved Brussels sprouts uh, that you cook over really high heat in olive oil. Uh, you add a little bit of white wine, and then you finish it with poppy seeds and lemon. Oh, oh yeah, I've, I've had this. It's it's fantastic. So it's basically like hashed Brussels sprouts. So but good. They've yeah, got like a really wonderful complexity from that bit of white wine. Who would who? The thought of the idea of throwing poppy seeds in there. Isn't that weird? It, it works really well. Like, I never would have thought of that. My parents found this recipe through their friend Dick Bohannon, uh, the late Dick Bohannon. Dick Bohannon, good and name. And it's, it's in some, I don't think it's, maybe it's in a Union Square Cafe cookbook, but I don't know if there even is a Union Square Cafe cookbook. There is. Maybe it's in yeah. there. Anyway, it's a fantastic dish. Really good for Thanksgiving because it comes together really fast. Yeah. And you can shave the Brussels sprouts think, in the food processor. I think my mom may have once asked me to make this dish for Thanksgiving and bring it. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. Or maybe she made it and I'm taking credit for it. Great. Um, um, yeah. Super good. Yeah. And yeah, if you have a, a food processor with like a shredding disc, you know, that sits up yes, near the top. I don't. No, that, I do. I just am like afraid to use it because I th- feel like it's going to be hard to clean, but. It's, it's not. not. It's not. And that is a really fast, surefire way to shred your okay. Brussels sprouts. So that's a great recipe. Maybe we can find it some. Actually, I may have written about it on the old blog years ago. Maybe Abby can find the link. Um, I have a story about Union Square Cafe that I've probably told on the show before, but I'll tell it again. Great. Um, when we were living in New York in 1998, and I was uh, working at this uh, weird little internet startup business in the West Village, like the meatpacking district, I uh, I had heard that the that if you love food and you love burgers, you've got to try the burger at Union Square Cafe. So uh, one day I took I took off for lunch, um, and like I put I like wore nice clothes um, uh-huh. because like I. 
figured you had to like to sit at the bar at Union Square Cafe because like a nice restaurant. I didn't know anything about anything. Um, so I did go to Union Square Cafe for lunch, just straight down 14th Street. Uh, I had the burger. It was delicious. Um, and then I got back to work and my boss asked me if I had gone to a job interview. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> so I had to tell the truth. Which uh, I, it you was a you burger, went out for a burger. Burger interview. Uh, that's I don't fantastic. even know if you believe me, but that guy was an asshole, so I don't care. Great. <laughs> I oh. mean, I didn't get fired or anything until later. I can't believe he asked you that. Uh, wow. Um, I didn't get fired. I quit. Uh, one other thing that I've made a couple times recently with wine was like I had I just kind of had a craving par- partly because we had some herbs growing on the balcony for like a white wine pork stew with herbs and just mm. kind of improvised this in the instant pot. I think like pork shoulder, uh, chicken broth, just like like, uh, you know, store broth, bought uh, low sodium Swanson chicken broth, plenty of white wine and whatever, whatever uh, herbs I found on the balcony, which was probably like parsley parsley thyme and rosemary mm-hmm. they just just like braised that up like held some of the herbs back to to put in fresh at the end and served over buttered egg noodles so good fantastic All love right. it so that's cooking with wine that that is everything that needs to be said about cooking with wine there is nothing else to add yeah and if you think of anything don't tell us that's right uh matthew do we have any spilled mail today we do and i'll read it it's from listener jenny To get right to the point, I was stopped in my tracks at the store today when I saw a family-sized bag of Kettle brand jalapeno chips. Does Molly know about this? Can we all collectively reach out to her local supermarket about getting this in stock so she doesn't have to stay out of the family-sized chip bag club anymore? Assuming everyone except her has access to their favorite chips being available in family-sized chip bags, does that make sense? It's 2.50 a.m. as I write this. So I think this is related to maybe our jalapeno chips episode, and maybe you said something about how you usually get the regular-sized bag and well, go through it quickly. So I discussed actually so both of the supermarkets that I go to often now stock the what they call I think sharing size yes I guess to to make you not feel too bad if you don't have a family <laughs> maybe right. maybe yeah. you just find anybody to share it with yeah you can share it with yourself tomorrow uh, anyway uh, yes I buy it in the sharing size bag and it's uh, my life is so much better oh good yeah uh, also says listener Jenny if you do happen to air this question on the podcast could you possibly give a shout out to my new six month old baby Noel and her stuffed beaver named Moosey oh well, hi, Moosey. I like the idea of introducing her to y'all's podcast when she's older and embarrassing her with an episode featuring a shout out to her and her favorite stuffed animal. Hopefully by then we'll have the technology to frame a sound bite so I can embarrass her further by bragging about the shout out to her friends. <laughs> so, uh, OK, couple things. First of all, hi, Noel. Hi, Moosey. Secondly, this is not like an open invitation that we're going to say hi to like all your babies and their stuffed animals. They have to like have a super cute stuffed animal name. Yeah. So we're setting a really yeah. high standard. Yeah, here. Moosey. Um, and and also like I I want a report from like a few years from now when you play this episode for for I want I want to hear how Moosey reacts in particular, but also Noel. Yeah. What else does Jenny say? Oh, binge listening to all 500 plus episodes of your show got me through a rough pregnancy. So thank you so much for all the hard work that goes into this show. Oh, you're that's welcome. Fantastic. You are so welcome. Matthew, I have a now but wow this week. So my now but wow is a book that came out last month. It is by the uh, the American comedian and sort of general all around 
excellent like social commentary guy W. Kamau Bell. Sure. Uh, and I, I didn't even know what your, what your pick was, and that's who I thought you were going to say. Oh, okay. So yeah, this is a this is a new book came out last month uh, by W. Kamau Bell and his friend Kate Schatz, who is also my friend Kate Schatz. Oh, nice. And I can't remember how the two of them met. They both live in the East Bay of California. Kate Schatz is a white lady. Um, Kamau is a black man, and they both are really passionate about anti-racist work. Sure. And Kate did a lot of really fantastic work on Instagram in the summer of 2020, educating white people about anti-racism. And she is the author of Rad Girls Can, American History A to Z, Mm -hmm. um, all kinds of of fantastic uh, contemporary books uh, that take kind of a more radical, activist-oriented look at American history. So she and Kamau Bell have teamed up for this book called Do the Work, an anti-racist activity book. This sounds great. Yes. And I will say there are a lot of books out there called Do the Work. All right. So be sure that you get the one that is Do the Work! Exclamation <laughs> point. Okay. And the subtitle is An Anti-Racist Activity Book. And this is basically like a workbook for people of, of all ages. This is not specifically for kids. Sure. And you're going to learn a tremendous amount about American history, um, about what has gotten us to the, the point, the, the abysmal point uh, that we are at in, in the U.S. in terms of inequality yeah. and uh, institutionalized racism. So anyway, check it out. It's called Do the Work by W. Kamau Bell and Kate Schatz. Uh, and it should be in stores everywhere. Our producer is Abby Circatella. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. And you can chat with other Spilled Milk listeners on reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk. And until next time, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk. If you if you simmer us for 45 minutes, all our brain cells evaporate off. It's true. I, I Mine are totally gone. <laughs> I'm Matthew Esther Burton. I'm Molly Weisenberg. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 